like rejuvenated for the week. Seeing Red the Pod, episode 68, where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm Stephanie, and here with me today is Melody. Hey, Melody. How's it going? <gasps> hello, hello. Um, good news. I have great news. Oh, I was I just, yeah, I was just reading in the paper today that all of the healthcare workers who don't believe in modern medicine and are not getting vaccinated will not be fired from Brian Healthcare. And they're that still going to work in our medical system. I think we should get disclosure. Like if the people that are providing us healthcare are making bad health decisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't care so much like, okay, if you're smoking and you eat a lot of bad foods and you're doing all kinds of things that put your own body at risk, but but like, if you don't get vaccinated, you're putting my body at risk. Mm -hmm. That's not cool. Oh, do you understand that COVID is contagious? Because there's some, I don't know, (laughs) crazy crazy lady in the House of Representatives who does not understand that COVID is contagious. She's like, cancer kills people and we don't shut right. things down. <laughs> like, actually, that's not true. We have, like, cancer races all the time and we're always shutting streets down and mm-hmm. stores bend over backwards to sell mm-hmm. pink booby swag and, right. you know, whatever all the different cancer fundraisers are. So, like, actually, a lot of things do get shut down for cancer, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not mm-hmm. contagious. Mm-hmm. That's the core difference. hmm I keep, I keep telling people, you know, like your opinions don't change science. Just going to put it out there again. So where's April at today? She just Um, like left. So I heard she's having a little birthday tomorrow, turning 29 again. Again? Again, girl. It's been like over 10 years. She's been turning 29. I don't know. (laughs) Only been five. (laughs) More than five. Anyway. She's just a little bit older than me. And I'm just a little bit older than you. So I think we should probably watch ourselves. <gasps> anyway, I will say happy, happy birthday, April, when you're listening happy to this birthday later. to April. We love you. Happy birthday. And I do. Um, I wonder if she's reading right now. Oh. In her time, time off of the it? pod. Oh, it's 924. I bet she's either reading or asleep. Mm. You know what? We'll update everyone next week. What was April doing it? 924 on birthday Eve. Or, I mean, since her birthday is on a Monday and she's going to have to, like, be working and mm-hmm. and you're so, so tired after work. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe she's getting a little birthday hanky-panky the night before <laughs> because they're, like, rejuvenated <laughs> for the weekend. I mean, I don't know. That is my wish for her if if that's what she wants. <laughs> that's my wish for all of you. I hope, I hope all of you. I hope everyone's as, having some hanky-panky tonight. Yes, everyone listening. I hope you're getting hanky-panky if that's what you want. <laughs> oh, crap. We should, probably, we should probably bring on our guests. <laughs> we're going to get ourselves into trouble tonight. I mean, if we're lucky. <laughs> 
Uh, oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we have some like serious conversations about mm-hmm. um, renters' rights. Yep. And so I am looking forward to having that conversation. Well, I mean, looking forward to it is like not the right word, but I'm looking forward to learning how these systems work yep. that create yep. huge problems for everyday families. Yep. And information is powerful. And if we all know a little bit more, I think things would be a little bit better. All right, there. let's bring them on. Okay. Tonight we have Dave Pantos from the Tenant Assistance Project. Dave has been an attorney for 25 years, volunteers about two times a week, helping renters realize their rights in court, is a current candidate for Douglas County Attorney. Hey, Dave. So nice to have you. Hey, everyone. We are really looking forward to learning more about this. Like, Mm -hmm. I can only speak for myself, I guess, but um, I've just been watching all of the things that are happening in Omaha around renter's rights and Mm -hmm. I just I just have so I have questions I want to learn more sure but before we even get started so you're a lawyer you've been a lawyer for a long time you're running for office that's very exciting as well but like you know before all of those things happened you were just a wee child a wee boy from somewhere in some part of the country so how did you go from there to ass-kicking lawyer in Omaha, Nebraska. Sure. So, uh, and thank you so much for having me on. Um, So excited to visit with you all this evening and to talk about the Tenant Assistance Project, something I'm very passionate about. And um, yeah, so um, I have been a lawyer for 25 years and I grew up in New Jersey. uh, So I'm an East Coaster went to Rutgers undergrad, Indiana University Law School. So it's all, you know, it's still Big Ten stuff here. So nothing unusual. And, uh, you know, from an, I would say an early age, uh, I kind of got excited uh, about, you know, work that was being done to alleviate poverty in some of the roughest parts of uh, the state I grew up in. Um, And uh, when I was in law school, I took the opportunity to volunteer for uh, the what was called the Public Interest Law Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, their motto was "Make Love, Not Law Journal," because, like you know, the sort of top law students were always migrating towards doing law journal and getting big law firm jobs. And uh, I just never had that as my sort of path. So I always sought ways to assist um, the less fortunate through the law. So. Um, after law school, I worked in a small law firm um, doing workers' compensation, representing injured workers, volunteering for the National Lawyers Guild and uh, the uh, Colorado Rural Legal Services. I started my practice in Colorado. Um, then ended up back in New Jersey, and I directed a statewide legal aid program for disabled people. Uh, moved to Omaha in 2006, and... Um, became litigation director at Legal Aid of Nebraska. I did that for a couple of years and then um, became executive director of Legal Aid. Um, And, you know, kind of one of the exciting but downsides of being executive director is that you don't really do as much courtroom work. It's more just fundraising and starting new projects. We did a lot of great stuff, but it was more, you know, um, 
making sure we were, uh, you know, able to hire attorneys and meet our budget. Uh, then for a few years, I ran an autism um, nonprofit. Um, autism is a growing problem in America. The numbers are huge and uh, helped to develop a uh, autism legal clinic uh, for families impacted by autism. Um, then um, in late 2016, um, this is probably not going to be news to your viewers, but um, we had a presidential election that didn't go very well. And uh, I felt like, wow, I need to kind of get out of the nonprofit space for a while and uh, uh, get involved in politics. So um, I got onto the board of Metropolitan Community College, uh, eventually served as vice chair and uh, got involved in a couple of political campaigns for Congress here in the second congressional district. And, you know, I, after the sort of political campaign stuff wound down early in 2021, um, you know, we started seeing as a result of the pandemic, uh, more and more people at risk for losing their homes due to lost income and other financial stress. And so um, in July, the uh, State Bar Association through the Volunteer Lawyers Project put out a call for Douglas County attorneys to volunteer for this new program in Douglas County called the Tenants Assistance Project, where we'd go down to court and help um, folks who were facing eviction. At the time, there was a uh, eviction moratorium mm -hmm. nationwide enforced by the Centers for Disease Control. Uh, so it was pretty straightforward to help those folks avoid eviction by certifying that the pandemic had some impact on their ability to not um, to pay rent. Um, so I signed up for that, uh, started volunteering um, in August, and um, so there was like this two or three week period when the moratorium was still in effect and those were really easy cases. But as um, all of your highly educated um, listeners um, know, uh, the moratorium was declared as uh, unconstitutional and uh, is no longer in effect, uh, basically saying that the CDC didn't have the authority to issue um, that kind of moratorium. So. Uh, we don't have a moratorium anymore, and we have lots and lots of people who are facing eviction. And in fact, the day after the moratorium was lifted, uh, the numbers of eviction filings started going through the roof. And um, so we're facing, you know, and I, I even I put this on social media the other day. There was a printout of all the evictions um, for the day that were on the docket, and they had to make the print small enough to fit on one page. And, you know, my 51 year old eyes were out having a hard time reading them. It was so, there were so many people um, facing eviction. And a lot of it was just like folks losing a job for a few weeks, getting behind on rent and the uh, landlords and the property owners and their attorneys are filing those evictions right away. Whereas during the eviction moratorium, they would hang back, they would wait, they probably wouldn't file. Now they are jamming them through. And, uh, you know, as, as you may know, um, if you don't have legal representation in an eviction, you are going to get evicted and you're going to lose your home. And so um, that's why I'm so happy to be working with um, the other volunteers in doing the eviction defense work, because um, our stats are kind of the reverse of that. Uh, we're helping folks 98% of the time. Um, avoid homelessness um, at these 
um, eviction hearings. So it's a great stat um, for sure. And it's worthwhile work. So I have a question. What are, before they are in court and you are interacting with them, what are some things that are happening that lead up to this? And like specifically, I mean, I think we all know, right? Like a rent didn't get paid and then now we're in court kind of just thinking that through. But what are some things that people just might not know? Like some common misconceptions that people might have about renters prior to this moment they're interacting in court? Sure. So what a lot of folks don't know, first of all, is that um, the cost of housing um, and rent specifically is going up every year. And there isn't like a um, parallel increase in wages or um, financial support for that, um, except in the instance of um, a lot of the rental assistance that's coming through um, the pandemic relief programs. So you have uh, rent going up, you have a lot of folks who are facing um, temporary shortfalls in, in, in jobs. Um, so someone might just be laid off from one job, apply for another job and have a two to three week uh, delay in um, getting a paycheck. And that's enough to miss December rent. And uh, then, you know, if they have a property manager or landlord who's not friendly, which is often the case, unfortunately, with a lot of the um, property owners in Douglas County, uh, they'll issue a seven day notice and file for restitution of the premises, which is a fancy legal word for eviction. So that is happening all the time. And I think part of what's happening is they see non-payment of rent as an opportunity to get that tenant out so then they can hike up the rent even further um, because there's such a demand for rental housing in the community. That makes sense. Of the people that you're working with, or even, I mean, you're in the courtroom, whether you're working with them or not. So you're probably getting a sense of what's going on, but how many of these people do you think are, would be classified as essential workers? Oh, that's a really great question. I've had so many essential workers that I've represented. Uh, One great example was a school bus driver um, who was being forced to work so much. um, And this is not that long ago. This was like a, six weeks ago, um, she never had the time to be able to apply for rental assistance just to kind of cover that um, time period. So she was went from working all the time to a brief time period where she wasn't working. And that's when the income went away. So she got um, the eviction thing. Then she's working all the time again. Um, and uh, yeah, and so she didn't have the time to apply for rental assistance because she was working during the time uh, that those folks were available. And uh, so if it weren't for us stepping in and kind of putting a stop to the eviction and getting her connected to the right folks, she would definitely be in a shelter right now or on the streets. Um, And this is someone whose job it is to drive kids to school. Um, So, you know, there are a lot of examples of folks like that. Yeah, uh, school bus drivers, uh, folks in construction, nurses, um, everything that you can imagine. You know, I just think one thing I think that people should think about when they're thinking about 
renters having trouble paying their rent is and almost everyone I know that owns a house refinanced during the mm-hmm. pandemic so that they could lower their mortgage payment, um, including landlords were refinancing their mortgage payment so they could mm-hmm. pay less every month. Mm-hmm. But there was, so there was really in homeownership land, lots and lots of people lowered their monthly payment. But I don't think we saw that in rent payments going down to match right. all those refinance deals. Yeah, I would certainly be willing to bet $500 that I don't have that no one's rent went down (laughs) over the past 18 months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, probably the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. And do you you think that this problem of landlords evicting people, do you think it is widespread? Like, is this kind of like all landlords are trash everywhere in every space, or is it like, are there just some, are there some bad seeds? Is it like, what, what's the landscape there? Sure. There are certainly landlords. um, And, you know, I I do want to clear up, clear up some misconception. I think the notion of there being a landlord, the sort of mom and pop uh, operation where, you know, there's a, a person or a family that owns like two or three homes. I mean, that's not what we're really talking about here. I mean, it's, it comes up, but more often we're talking about um, large real estate corporations um, that own a lot of properties that are rented to working class people. Mm -hmm. um, Some of whom are not even Nebraskan companies. They're out of state, but some of them are names that, you would um, recognize like NP Dodge, for example, um, that um, are uh, owners of a lot of these places. So these are corporations and uh, their finances are underwritten by large banks and they have lots of properties. And uh, some of them employ um, attorneys who also are lobbyists for the um landlord um, interests in the legislature. So they Mm -hmm. fight against reforms in um, landlord-tenant law. Um, Certainly, it should not be a surprise that the Nebraska Residential Landlord-Tenant Act is not favorable towards renters in any way. It is not. The number of uh, legal rights uh, afforded to tenants are minimal. and uh, which in some ways makes it easier for attorneys because there's only a few things we have to memorize because uh, there's so few rights. Um, but it's bad for them because um, unlike in some states where you know there's um, a requirement for mediation between the parties before someone's evicted um, or, or, or other kinds of protections, you know, it, you really can have a situation where a landlord decides enough's enough. Um, they file the paperwork, they get a, a court hearing immediately, and they will have a 35 second hearing um, after which that person will be evicted and homeless that day. Um, that is how the system is, is set up. And uh, certainly I invite any, any listeners or viewers, um, whether they're volunteering or not, to, to check out eviction court because it is very much a... Um, 
a cattle call um, in the common parlance. And so you have 20 to 30 people scheduled for eviction. And uh, if it weren't for the Tenants Assistance Project, um, those evictions would be wrapped up in about 15 to 20 minutes total. So you would have about one or two um, every 90 seconds being evicted. That's how the system's set up right now. The thing that's the, the wrench in the works is the tenant assistance program because we're in there um, trying to negotiate deals with the landlord attorneys and uh, getting folks connected to rental assistance so they don't get evicted, um, trying to put a stop on the process. Um, but two years ago before we were doing this stuff, I mean, you might occasionally have a legal aid attorney coming in and helping one or two cases, but for the most part, you'd have 90 to 95% of people facing eviction getting evicted really quickly. And um, so, um, so certainly it's um, a, a situation where, um, you know, but for the fact that um, we were there, uh, these folks would be evicted, but yeah, it's not, it's not your mom and pop landlord situation. It's large real estate corporations um, with a lot of power and a lot of money um, who are, um, you know, making a profit and that's mm -hmm. part of how they do it. I just, I feel like this is one of the many, many spaces in civic life where people, when they hear about these problems, they think to either themselves or their parents or someone they know who has a few rental properties through some kind of way. And they're like, well, yeah, I mean, I want to look out for the little guy. And, and that's just not almost always when we're talking about any sort of systemic problem, we're not talking about the little guy because mm -hmm. if your home is owned by a mom and pop operation, you probably just called them and worked out a deal, mm -hmm. right? Like that's how that exactly. almost always works because it really yep. is a human to human problem. Yep. And also they don't want to pay for lawyers to take things to court because they're also kind of on a shoestring typically. Yeah. No, there so are, I think there are it's certainly... just such a big difference in the two in the two worlds, you know, I think this is the same, like small businesses are like, well, we can't do certain things. Yeah, of course you can't because you're small businesses, but you, but we're really kind of talking about the big players in the space that employ 500 people mm -hmm. or 5,000 people, not the guy who employs three people. So, right. and, and, and again, who employ lobbyists who um, prevent reform in the Nebraska legislature. And, and again, yeah, you can look at the stats, you know, the large majority of eviction filings are certain key real estate companies and property management companies that are filing those. It's not, yeah, they'll have a handful of mom and pop, but it's, it's not them. It's mostly the same players over and over again. And again, they're, they're the same ones who are underwriting the legislative um, efforts to prevent um, reform in the legislature. And there have been, you know, great efforts from folks like Senator John Kavanaugh, who mm -hmm. tried to get a bill um, providing for a right to counsel, uh, right to counsel for uh, evictions. You know, he why got a is that, through, why is that important? What happens if you don't have an attorney? Yeah. Um, so basically the way the eviction and it's called a restitution, technically speaking, but the eviction process is uh, designed to operate very quickly because the way the law is written right now is uh, prefers a situation where if a landlord wants to have their property back so they can uh, take control of it and, and rent it again, 
um, the, it wants them to be able to do that. And so that process is a very quick 60 second process, even though it's a in front of a judge, um, the landlord attorneys who do the work, that's most of what they do is that kind of work. You know, they do collections, they do um, evictions. And uh, so they get in, they have their paperwork ready. They provide it to the, the judge. Mm-hmm. If there's a tenant there who doesn't have an attorney, the tenant might say, well, I don't know what to do right now. Um, I applied for rental assistance. And then the judge will probably say, well, you know, I can't provide you legal assistance. You need to talk to a licensed attorney. And then the person says, well, I can't afford an attorney because that's like $200 an hour. And the judge will say, well, um, I'm sorry. Good luck to you, sir. And um, they take the paperwork from the landlord uh, attorney and then they grant the uh, restitution. And then eventually the sheriff um, gets a writ and evicts the person. Um, And it's super quick. It's as quick as what I just described. Um, But if there's an attorney there, uh, and again, most of these folks could not afford a private attorney. There's just no way they could afford it. If they could afford an attorney, they probably could afford, um, you know, uh, their own house. (laughs) So they wouldn't be renting. Um, That's the fact. Um, So we're there. We're obviously not charging um, anything. And uh, we can we can jump in and, and say, hey, this person applied for rental assistance three days ago. They're saying a check's going to be cut next week. Can you delay this for three weeks? Da, 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 da. And you just kind of negotiate it out. And I think what happens there is, and I think this is unfortunate, but it's the reality. Um, attorneys for the landlords are more likely to want to have a, you know, cut a deal with another attorney rather than a tenant or someone who's not um, sophisticated on the law. Um, and I will say this, some of the, you know, a fair amount of the landlord attorneys are reasonable people per se. Um, and if you, if you are, if you say to them, look, this check will be cut in 10 days, your client will get paid. They're likely going to advocate on behalf of your proposal and talk to their client and say, Hey, let's dismiss this thing or let's, um, continue it for a few weeks, weeks. Um, but only when there's another attorney there. If a tenant did that, it would not happen. Um, if it was just a non a non attorney there, you know, it's questionable whether even that would be allowed. Usually, it has to be an attorney. Um, they wouldn't go along with it. It has to be another attorney. And, and and the fact is, is that now you know I went into this not knowing um, landlord tenant law very well at all. Um, I think I know it a lot better now. Uh, but yeah, I came in just like. You know, I think my skills kind of in this case are more just like being persuasive and, and just talking to someone until they agree with me. <laughs> and they're just like, OK, fine, we'll, we'll delay it for a month. Um, and that's a lot of what we do. Um, so um, but yeah, if we weren't there, you know, it would just be done. Um, and, you know, we, we, we get to see all these uh, debt collection hearings that occur before the eviction hearings. It's the same thing. People just get rolled through because none of them have attorneys. Um, so yeah, without counsel, these folks will be evicted um, immediately. It's just set up that way. It's literally the system. You know, so this is something that has come to light to me the last couple of years uh, through various pathways is I think there is this myth that when 
bad things are happening to you in a court of law that you have a right to an attorney. Uh, But it turns out it's really, really limited in scope. Can you walk us through when Hmm. do you have a right to attorney? And then maybe some broad categories when you do not have a right to an attorney and one will not be provided for you. Sure. So, I mean, the case that most people have heard of is Gideon versus Wainwright, which um, basically said that um, an accused criminal defendant has a right to an attorney. Um, and if they can't afford an attorney, it'll be provided for them. So those are, those are um, criminal defendants where there's a right to an attorney. Um, and then there's you know a few other cases where there's a right, like in juvenile court, um, and, uh, you know, if, if uh, um, there's a termination of parental rights uh, type case, um, you know, attorneys are provided, um, you know, but it, it's mostly in the criminal law context where you're a criminal defendant and you've got, a, you know, it's a Gideon versus Wainwright situation. In civil is that, cases, is yeah. that all criminal charges like felonies and misdemeanors? Uh, so, um, it's typically, um, you know, if it's like an infraction, uh, no, um, in felony cases, absolutely. Um, and a lot of misdemeanors, yes. Um, so, but it's, it's all in the criminal world. Um, but not all misdemeanors, right? Like some misdemeanors. So you really, Mm -hmm. unless you were an attorney, you really don't know. Like you can oh, get yeah. yourself in quite a pickle and have no attorney. Yeah. No. And I think that's certainly true. Most people who proceed without an attorney, I don't mean that this is always the case, but a lot of folks do make things worse for themselves if they don't seek counsel. So I think, so there's a misperception that, okay, you have programs like legal aid um, who provide free legal services for poor people. Um, and they do a great job, but they are limited to their staff. And uh, because of that, they only take certain kinds of cases um, and prioritize cases. Uh, they just, it's just the nature of the beast. Um, so they, t- and, and also, you know, if you're low income, but still above their um, income requirements, you wouldn't even qualify for, for help. So there's a wide swath of people in civil cases who have no access to counsel at all. So the Supreme Court with, um, in conjunction with Legal Aid and the, the Bar Association, you know, they have some free um, automated legal forms that they can use um, online to help them with some kinds of cases. But there's so many other cases where, um, you know, and especially in the case of like uh, evictions where there's no right to counsel and, um, and, uh, yeah, you're kind of on your own unless you have a program like the Tenant Assistance Program. Who funds who funds the Tenant Assistance Program? Sure. So uh, the Tenant Assistance Project is uh, it's a collaborative effort uh, led by the Volunteer Lawyers Project of the Nebraska State Bar Association. Um, and some of the partners include Together um, Inc., um, the Metropolitan uh, uh, Continuum of Care for the Homeless, um, 
and uh, Creighton Legal Clinic um, and uh, a few other groups uh, work together. Uh, funding is provided by um, a lot of the kind of uh, prominent um, philanthropic organizations that we all hear about, Sherwood Foundation, Bill and Ruth Scott Foundation, uh, White's Family Foundation, maybe one or two others. More recently, the city and count, county here in Douglas County, um, Omaha City, voted to allocate some funds from the pandemic relief funding to um, TAP to help uh, provide for coordinators of the program. Um, so there's definitely some funding, uh, but the attorneys and the non-attorneys who volunteer uh, just operate under their own goodwill. Um, but there's some great folks working for the Bar Association to help coordinate it with that funding. What do you think is cheaper? Is it cheaper to pay for lawyers to help people in these situations, or is it cheaper to provide homeless services and move to the next step of your life services? Kind of, you know, there's a whole hodgepodge of services that people might qualify once they're homeless. Um, mm -hmm. Which which is cheaper? What do you think? Yeah, so um, I think that's a really foundational question to the whole thing. And, you know, some communities, you know, recognize that it's cheaper to house the homeless <laughs> than to provide um, kind of a patchwork of social assistance programs for the home homeless. So they actually just find homes for them. Um, and I feel like the, the space that TAP is in is kind of, you know, we're, we're trying to keep people that are housed already um, so that they continue to be housed. And the, so this space is a legal services space because they are, they are housed and they're faced with a legal process that will result in them being unhoused. So having that legal assistance um, available to prevent that is, um, I don't think you can ever replace that with just wraparound social services because you, you always need to have that, that safety net of um, that legal assistance because, um, and, and this is just a foundational um, area of um, legal practice that a non-attorney can't provide legal advice, um, can't represent someone in, in court. Um, so you still need to have that, um, that, um, that safety net from the lawyers, even if you had the other parts kind of working in a better way. Mm -hmm. Um, but certainly, you know, some of the other issues have to do with rising rents, um, the lack of availability of affordable housing. I mean, affordable housing is a huge hot topic in the legislature, in the community. Um, and, you know, part of the issue is that folks don't even really agree what affordable housing is. Um, so, the, so I think, um, you know, but from my perspective, you know, it, the very least, we want to just keep people in their homes because a lot of these folks have little kids and uh and they have jobs or they're trying to get jobs and if if you don't have a house or a home it's impossible or very hard to get a job it's hard to keep a job um so um at least at the the point where we're seeing them which is a landlord has initiated that legal process of restitution um you know you need to have that attorney step in and and provide at least some fair shake for the folks who are being evicted 
Yeah. What policy changes? So, and do they need to be local? Do they need to be statewide? Um, or, or would do you need different policies for urban, rural? Um, I mean, kind of come out this question where you think it makes the most sense. But what you know, what are like? I just say like top three policy changes that would protect renters. Sure. Well, I think the right to counsel, um, number one, for sure. Um, two, having some intermediate step when a landlord wants to or feels like things have broken down, they want to evict um, for whatever reason that there has to be, it doesn't just go directly to court and the person's evicted some kind of intermediate step of mediation where the parties are in a room with someone who's able to kind of help them reach agreement. Because I feel like a lot of what we're doing is that, uh, you know, we're just saying, Hey, uh, this person applied for rental assistance and we just got off the phone with the rental assistance folks and the checks going to be, you know, in your mailbox in five days or some automated uh, bank transfer in three days. You know, that doesn't need to be outside of a courtroom. That should be right. in some kind of friendlier environment. Um, and it's public, right? Like these people's yeah. names are public. Whereas if you could have had a mediator say, hey, the, mm-hmm. we just called these people. The check's on the way. Don't take the renter's word for it. Take my word for it, you know, and make it more neutral. Then now yeah. there's no big public record of shame. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is so, part of this. Yeah, so, so those are the first two. And I think the third would be um, probably a more streamlined way of providing funds to assist people. Um, it, you know, a lot of these folks are just like a few hundred dollars behind um, um, and, and maybe they have other, you know, um, necessary expenses that are just that barrier between, like, for example, um, a lot of folks don't come to court for their eviction hearings because they can't afford uh, transportation or they have to work and they can't afford to stay off. If there's some fund that could um, allow people to um, get to their hearings, uh, make sure that they're, you know, um, able to do so without further financial hardship. Um, I think that third thing would also really help because, I mean, it's certainly the case, and, and this is something we struggle with, um, the folks that we help through the tenant assistance project don't become our clients until they show up. Um, so we're basically, as people are coming in, we have a volunteer who says, Hey, are you here in, uh, in the civic building for an eviction hearing? Yes. Do you have a lawyer? No. Can you afford one? No. Um, do you want help? And then they are directed to us. But if that person doesn't show up, they're going to get evicted. <laughs> Cause we can't do anything because right. they're not our client yet. Um, so sometimes I'll be sitting there in the courtroom and they'll say, you know, Broadmoor properties versus Jones. Uh, then the attorney for Broadmoor shows up and puts the paperwork in. They're evicted. I'm like, Oh, if that person had only shown up. Maybe we could have helped them. And so something that, that uh, invests in ensuring that tenants show up for their hearings and provides that kind of financial support or social support for them. That would be the third thing that would really help. Or maybe not even show up. Like maybe they could just talk to you ahead of time, get it sorted and you could show up because you're there anyway. And they could just, yeah. what, cause what do you need them for at that mm-hmm. point when it's exactly. just lawyer to lawyer talking? Well, and, and I think that um, 
that second option, that mediation, um, that intermediate step, if we had that in place, um, you know, I think it would be better for landlords too, because they're more likely to get paid because, okay, so someone applies for rental assistance and they get like two months of back due rent and three months perspective rent, rent paid for, um, then um, if that person gets evicted, the landlord doesn't even see that money. So it's like, well, what if we just stop that, make sure they get their money, they get paid and everyone's happier. Um, the way the system is right now, it's like those folks are getting evicted and those payments aren't even being made. And so everyone loses. And then what the landlord has to sue the tenant who's now homeless for that past due money, that's not going to happen. They're going to either declare bankruptcy or just, you know, they'll get a declaration uh, of a, they'll get a judgment for that money, but they'll never be able to pay it because uh, they're already, um, you know, low income. So what do you think about, so a lot of the pandemic support, I mean, almost all of it, aside from um, stuff like that we all got, right? Like um, the family mm-hmm. checks and things like that. But most of it went directly to homeowners. There was a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. And in also landlords. Right. And that wasn't really passed on to tenants. So what? What do you think could be done? I mean, what do you think could fix that? I mean, do you have any, do you have thoughts about that? Sure. So, I'm just like really personally very frustrated. About yeah. It. No, no, that's a fair uh, assessment of things, and certainly a lot of money has come to the community to provide rental assistance. But you know, the hoops that tenants have to jump through to get their money versus the hoops that property owners had to jump through. Um, it's less hoops. I mean, for sure. The property owners have one or two hoops. The tenants have many hoops. Um, and uh, I think for sure, uh, and this may be, and I, I feel like this is the case in some states and I'm not sure what it is here, but if you're a, if you're a landlord and you participate in the program and get those, that money, you probably should have to attest that you're not going to evict people at the same time that you're accepting checks directly from the federal government um, as part of pandemic relief. Like you can't have it both ways. You can't be evicting people, but then also take money. Um, I don't know how that's working. And I don't feel like there's any tucker balance in there at all for that money. Yeah. I think some other States have it worked out better where, you know, if you're, if you're participating, if you're participating in pandemic relief with direct payments, um, you can't, you can't evict, um, here it's not the case at all. Um, and, and I think that's something that has to be set up state by state. Um, so, so maybe that's the fourth policy reform or maybe that's like three a, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, I think people don't also realize that when you are making a rent payment, you are building equity towards someone else's property. And then when we give those pandemic checks to them, that's also building equity either in that direct property or their business model in general. And they're just buying more properties, you know, and meanwhile, renters can live somewhere for 30 years and there's no equity, there's no nothing that, you know, and so Mm -hmm. it's a backward, it's, it's a very tilted relationship. It's not. Yeah, and it's harder. It's you know, I think it's becoming harder and harder for folks who haven't, 
So, I mean, part of what I'm interested in, and I think you all would agree, is the barriers to making that jump from being a renter to being a homeowner. Um, it makes way more financial sense to be a homeowner than a renter for all sorts of reasons. Um, but there are so many barriers for low-income people to make that jump from renting to homeownership, you know, whether it's a credit score, um, whether it's, you know, continuity of a job, um, whether it's having an eviction on your record, impacting your credit score, um, you know, or, you know, maybe a past conviction for a minor offense, um, all those kinds of things can make it harder for you to get a mortgage so that you can become a homeowner. Um, now, also, we see that the price of um, homes is going up, which um, if you can't get a mortgage um, or you can't get a mortgage at a good rate because of those factors, um, that's just another huge barrier. Um, so I feel like that's another part of the equation, too, which is, yeah, if someone's been rent, you know, paying rent for 20, 30 years, um, why wasn't that person a homeowner? Um, because it makes so much more sense, especially given the fact that rent is going up um, so much, and um, you know, it's and and the quality of rental housing for working class people in certainly in Omaha is going down. Um, there's a lot of great housing for um, the very affluent um, in terms of rental housing, folks coming in working at you know uh, higher paying jobs, but for the rest of the folks, it's um, it's just falling into disrepair, disrepair and uh, there's not much being done about that. Well, and one policy piece you didn't mention, and but I've just been, I've been reading a little bit about this concept and I just think it is uh, cool, but it's like a total changing of the entire system. Whereas you come in as a renter and then there's some sort of mechanism where at some point you start owning a piece of the building and so mm-hmm. if you live somewhere renting for 25 years and then they want to sell that building, well, you, there is some kind of mechanism where you have built some sort of equity in that home. Yeah. I love that idea. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a thing that happens in Nebraska, though. No, it's not a thing that happens. But I, I've just been like learning about it and learning about how there's this new trend around um, trailer parks, like mobile homes, mm. and people are trying to come together to buy their mobile home parks, like the people that actually live there when the park owners are selling them and they're competing with investors. And it's like this whole, I'm just, it's it's something I'm thinking about a lot. Um, I love that. I I think there would have to be some kind of, uh, you know, public private partnership in mm -hmm. promoting that kind of thing in Nebraska, where there is a statutory framework for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. In addition to, yeah, some kind of legal framework for it. I, I love that idea yep. um, for sure. I'm um, very passionate about affordable housing. Um, and so we could probably talk about this all night. Um, I know in Lincoln, we have a big problem where we need both affordable homeownership. We also need affordable rentals, um, both of which we have not even close to enough of and it'll be really yeah. interesting to see how our city leadership addresses this in the coming years i do have a question how can we get involved how can um, people who are listening to this and um you know average regular folks much like ourselves um in the beginning um how can we get involved sure so um 
So TAP is a program that's both in Douglas County and Lancaster County. It's actually been in Lancaster County much longer than Douglas County. It started in Mm -hmm. uh, Lincoln in April, 2020. Um, And uh, so there's roles for attorneys and non-attorneys. So attorneys obviously um, can do what I do, which is just show up at court um, usually around 8.30, 8.45 in the morning and um, then wait for the volunteers and the coordinators there to identify folks who are uh, need an attorney. And then they kind of work up their case, the case a little bit and give them to us and we do our best on them. Um, so, so certainly anyone who's a licensed attorney in the state of Nebraska, either in Lancaster County or Douglas County, mm-hmm. um, you can get signed up and you can certainly uh, message me um, directly on Twitter or Facebook or wherever mm-hmm. I'll get you connected to the, uh, volunteer coordinator. Um, similarly, non-attorneys, uh, plenty of need for assistance because, um, as I mentioned, uh, when folks show up at court, uh, we need someone to grab them and before they walk into the courtroom and it's too late <laughs> to say, Hey, do you need help with your eviction case? Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, a lot of folks walk in, they don't know that we're there or they're there to help um Mm -hmm. folks who walk into the courthouse oftentimes maybe it's the first time ever going to the courthouse and they have no idea what's going on they're really scared and intimidated because it's an unfamiliar location and they're at risk for losing their home and maybe they have kids with them or they're worried about their kids so um so there's plenty of roles for non-attorneys to kind of help provide the support getting folks to fill out paperwork so that we can help them uh, so plenty of roles for uh, non-attorneys. Now, if you're in Douglas County, where I am, um, we're in operation four days a week. So it's uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, usually, so court starts at nine. We usually get there around 8.30 and uh, that's when it gets started. Um, and um, yeah, so whether you're an attorney or non-attorney, as long as you uh, can get to either of those locations. So Lancaster County, it's a little bit different. I think it's Monday through Thursday and not Friday. I'm not totally sure about that because I don't mm-hmm. I don't practice in Lancaster, um, but I'm pretty sure it's that. And uh, but there's plenty of support. There's always people on site who have experience, and uh, there's always at least one or two folks who are employees of the State Bar Association Volunteer Lawyers Project or you know, mm-hmm. the um, UNL Legal Clinic or Creighton Legal Clinic. Um, on site or, or attorneys like me have been doing it for a while. Um, so it's not like you're just going to be thrown out into the ocean to swim on your own. Excellent. So final question of the night, what are you reading? Even though mm-hmm. April's not here, you know, like <laughs> April demands, April. she is a book um, matron, you know, she's a librarian. She's, she's in, we need to know that you're reading, especially as you're a candidate. We're not going to vote for people sure. who aren't reading. No, it's, I think <laughs> this is probably the most important question tonight. Uh, so I'm reading Colson Whitehead's Harlem Shuffle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Colson Whitehead is the author of um, Underground Railroad, uh, which was, I don't know if it was Booker Prize or Pulitzer Prize. Uh, it was made into an Amazon series. Uh and uh, so he's had a couple books since Underground Railroad, and his recent, most recent is Harlem Shuffle. I think it just came out in earlier 2021. It's uh, so far, it's a great book. I think he's an awesome author. 
Um, I mean, Underground Railroad was just mind blowing for sure. Uh, his book after that was Nick, uh, uh, Nickel Boys, um, which is about um, uh, these um, kind of reformatory schools in Florida and how aggressive they were for African American youth and. Oh, I read shuffle. Nickel Boys. That one oh, okay. was, sh- yeah. it was shocking. It was like, yeah. it was harrowing and it's still sticking to my soul. It's, but it was also good and it was, I don't know, it was worth reading for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I feel the same way. And so this is his most recent work and uh, my wife just finished reading it. So now I'm reading it and uh, right before that, I read uh, Jonathan Franzen's new novel, uh, Crossroads. Uh, big Jonathan Franzen fan, and I thought that was pretty good, too. And what's that about? So Crossroads is set in the early 1970s and uh, largely uh, revolving around a uh, progressive pastor and his family and how they kind of fall apart and sort of come back together again. And, you know, in, in typical uh, Franzen universe. It's uh, it's broad in scope, but also focused on a on a particular family. And uh, you know, he's. I mean, this is not. Um, I mean, his great work was um, the corrections for sure. Uh, but I think this is a pretty good return to form for him as well. So I enjoyed it. And then uh, I just oh, so hearing the phrase crossroads, it just brings me back to being like a preteen and I've just, I just have the like ear wig in my ear where it's like, meet me at the crossroads, crossroads. Yeah. I just- well, sure. So <laughs> the, the name is um, uh, from a uh, uh, church youth group um, <laughs> from like the early seventies. Um, but yeah, it's really good. And so you mentioned before we started, um, so the geeky science fiction thing so before that i read the first two books of the uh the um three body problem have you read that it's the uh the most yeah it's a chinese science fiction uh trilogy uh that apparently is coming to netflix sometime in the next year or so um and uh yeah i it was kind of one of those things was like oh chinese science fiction let me check that out so um, super awesome. Um, highly recommend that trilogy to anyone who's listening. Well, I just finished the book Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. And okay. it is, he's, he's from a Northern European country. Um, but his characters are really quirky. And in this book, it's like all these people are stuck in an apartment. It's a bank robbery gone wrong. But all of the people kind of start as one way and then it goes into each of their backstories and they're all connected Mm -hmm. in ways you wouldn't expect. And they all have backstories that once you learn the backstory, you're like, oh, I understand how you are, where you are now. But what is, but it's not what you would have expected. Like if you would have had to guess at their backstory, you would have guessed something different. Hmm. Right. So all of their backstories are surprising. And I think it's, um, you know, it's just a good human study book, but it's just a really fascinating, I love a good book that reads like a movie. Mm-hmm. You'd imagine you're sitting in a movie yeah. theater watching it, and it's sure. one of those. It's really good. Um, but it's also just, there's these this theme running through every character where, like, you don't really know people that you just met. 
Like you just it. don't. Yeah, yeah. Sure. you don't know where they've come from. You don't know where they're going. You only have mm-hmm. this limited information and it's easy to misinterpret it. I love it. So that Sounds was my really takeaway from the book. It's super, okay. All of his books are good. Anxious people. Uh, but it's, yeah. And so I just finished that and I loved it. So that's what I have. Okay. Well, cool. we will like let you finish your uh, evening as you know, we're recording on a Sunday and everyone's got to make yes. sure kids are in bed and everybody's ready for school in the morning. So That's we'll, right. mm-hmm. I have to go do that. <laughs> we'll leave you to be. Thanks for right. coming on the pod and we will have you come back another time and talk about your candidacy. We we're super interested in that. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you so much for running. But, and thanks for keeping Thank them you. people in their home for all of the different holidays happening this time mm-hmm. of year. Absolutely. Uh, it's an honor to be able to do that work with all the partners uh, who are helping. So thanks for providing a venue to highlight that work. Thank you so much, Dave. Excellent. Good night. All right. Good night. Bye. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska, Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, $10, or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.